Good morning, everybody. I am pumped to be in worship with you this morning. Um, I am, I just, this is a conviction that I have and, and I wanna lay it before you as well. You know, we, we talked a lot last series about how just, I, there's never a time such as this for the church to be the hope of the earth. There's just so, so many in our culture who are void of meaning, who are void of pers- purpose, who are asking the big questions in life. And this is the community and this is the context where we can be honest with those questions. And so I just, I have a holy burden um, that I want to place before us just to, to constantly be aware of those folks and, and to bring the lost home and to lead the found into fullness. And I'm excited about all the big dreams that God has for this church and where we're going in 2019. It's awesome. As we continue this sermon series called What the Bible Doesn't Say. What the Bible Doesn't Say. And we kicked that off last week talking a little bit about what the Bible is, that the Bible isn't this sort of big uh, glorified Wikipedia encyclopedia. It's not an answer book to all of our conceivable questions. It's something holier than that. It's something more important than that. it's, it's a God-breathed text that, that's God's telling us the story about his relationship with us. It's a story of creation, of fall, of redemption, of restoration. It's, it's a book meant to keep us on the path of righteousness, to keep us in right relationship with God, not to make us wise in terms of worldly wisdom, in terms of an accumulation of a lot of knowledge, but it's to make us wise for salvation. So that's what the Bible is. And I think it's important for us to always keep in mind what the Bible is when we talk about what the Bible doesn't say. So our phrase, our saying that we may use personally or, or we may have heard people use to and, and said to us in our lives that we may have received is God won't give you more than you can handle or God won't give you more than you can bear. God will not give you more than you can bear. Um, I lost my granny and grandpa when I was four years old. And granny and grandpa, my dad has some, this is a crazy statistic that I didn't realize until a few months ago. It's just, it's hard to fathom, just given our, our, culture now, but there's like one night they spent apart from each other in their 30-something years of marriage. Isn't that crazy? It's unbelievable. And some of my earliest memories are of granny and grandpa. Most psychologists say, I think our first memories, if you can think about those early, early memories, like what's your first memory? Some of that developed somewhere between the ages of three and four, and I know that's disputed, but some of my earliest memories are of granny and grandpa. Like I had this mitt with Velcro in it that used to play catch with grandpa with, used to sit in the living room and watch IU games. IU stands for Indiana University, go Hoosiers. And yes, they did think Bobby Knight was justified when he threw the chair and when the team walked out, they, they thought he was totally justified in, in all of that. Um, I always made grandpa read me the same story about this Dalmatian, this fire dog and the big red fire engine, the same story over and over and over again. Some of my earliest memories are of granny and grandpa and I remember... I remember the day the paramedics came and my mom made sure I was in the other room and I heard her scream for her mom as the paramedics came and took Granny away. She lost a long battle with breast cancer. And four months later, my grandpa took, took his own life. And, and we found out later he had stopped taking his insulin um, in that season. And I share that with you in connection to this phrase 
about God will not give you more than you can bear. Um, I, I invite you to think about those times and maybe you're living in that season right now where life's just too much. Life gives you more than you can handle. This saying is often, is often said, we often receive this saying when we're about to explode, when we're just overwhelmed by life, we don't know quite how to manage it. And, and the saying is meant to encourage, right? It's meant to encourage, but sometimes I think it has the opposite effect that we can feel like we're even more of a failure because life's coming at me and I'm up to here and all this stuff and the kids are young and it's chaos at home and now a deadline's been moved up at work and it's just too much and I can't manage it well. So now I'm failing God because I can't manage my life well because God won't give me more than I can bear and I'm not handling any of this well. So we feel like a failure. These hardships keep being compounded. And so I think sometimes it has the opposite effect. The truth is life, life comes at us and it is more than we can handle. And we didn't cause it, we didn't initiate it, but still it comes, still it happens. God will not give you more than you can bear. At the heart of this phrase, I think is an assumption many of us have that when we think of the language, God cannot or will not give you more than you can bear. Sometimes we replace that word give with cause. And, and we've inherited this understanding of God through scripture that God causes capital A, capital L, capital L, all things that happen in our life. That God causes all the things that happen in our life. He's the creator. He's the only one who creates out of nothing. He's the alpha and the omega. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's sovereign. And so we assume that that means God, God causes all the things that happen in our life. And if God causes all the things that happen in our life, then he causes our own disobedience of him. And that doesn't make any sense with, with scripture. Our choices become arbitrary at that point. They become of no significance because we couldn't choose otherwise. If God causes all things, then he causes our own disobedience. And that's just not the case when we see these critical junctures in our salvation history. When we think of Moses, and Moses is given this big task to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt to go speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, nah, nah. He says, I can't speak. I don't speak good. I don't speak good, God. I can't speak. I can't speak to Pharaoh. And so God compromises a little bit and gives him Aaron. He said, all right, I'll, you don't have to do this by yourself. Aaron's gonna help you speak to Pharaoh. We look at Mary. Mary doesn't just, Mary isn't forced into her role as the mother of Jesus, as the mother of God. She freely says, yes, God doesn't cause all the things to happen in our life, but God works in all things. He's quick to come where he's invited and this isn't about power. God, God could cause all things to happen. God could cause every seemingly random thought in our mind. But we see in God's relationship with us, his own self-limitation, his own self-imposed limitation and that shows us that mutual reciprocal love is far greater than autonomous and coercive power. 
So we shouldn't understand God won't give you, God will not give you more than you can bear to mean that God causes all things to happen in your life, but don't worry because God won't make your life unbearable. The truth is, is life is hard. Life is difficult. And if life causes the hardships and we're drowning in some of the hardships, we're drowning in what life throws at us, then God is causing us to drown. And I'm here to testify that the opposite is the case. <laughs> that, that, that the opposite is the truth. That God doesn't cause, he's not the direct cause of all your loved ones who have passed away. He's not the direct cause of our own disobedience of him. God did not cause you to be enslaved to depression your whole life. God didn't take granny and grandpa from my mom, from my family. God has not, God is not, and God will not harm you. That God's plan for our lives is for our welfare. God, God's plan for us is an eternal good. So even if it hurts, what God gives us is for our eternal benefit. It's so that we can be free, free to love, free to love our neighbor, free to follow, free to live a full and abundant life. In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul describes all that he has endured in his ministry, how he's been in prison, how he's been beaten, by the Jewish authorities, five times he received the 39 lashes. 40 was, was death, right? 40 lashes symbolize this death penalty that, that you can't endure 40 lashes. And he says on five separate occasions, the Jewish authorities, he received this punishment. And Paul's a Roman citizen, we learn in Acts, and he receives, he receives a punishment that not even Roman citizens it was too harsh for even Roman citizens. He's beaten with rods on three separate occasions. He's shipwrecked three times. He's out on the open sea, exposed. He's often on the run, without clothes, without food, without shelter. And on top of that, he's got to deal with the pressures and the needs and the concerns of church folk who want him. Why aren't you coming to see us now? We're, you're our leader, right? He, he's got all these churches that he's responsible for, that he's leading. On top of all that, Paul talks about the extremes of how he received this heavenly vision and how he's got this messenger of Satan, this thorn, this thorn that's a plague that he deals with every single day. And we don't know what the thorn is. There's a lot of speculation as to what the thorn is. It is, is it his opponents? On, at every turn, Paul is opposed. You weren't one of the 12 disciples. Who are you to, who are what, what authority do you have? You didn't see Jesus live. Paul's got all kinds of opponents for all kinds of reasons. It might be a physical thing. We, we don't know if it's, if it's bouts of depression, limited sight, leprosy. We don't know what it is. The speculation goes on and on. What is this, what is this thorn that plagues Paul's side? And Paul cries out to God. Paul asks God to take it away, but he has to endure this. And this is how he ends, this is how he ends that section in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. This is what Paul says at the end of at the end of all that. But he said to me, but God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." At our last guys' night out, we had uh, Bo Glenn come to speak. And the reason we kind of wanted Bo Glenn to come and speak, because we thought he would, he would give us some really phenomenal stories, like being dropped in the wilderness with a shoestring and a toothbrush, and, uh, and he's able to like cook steak and defeat a mountain lion and all that stuff, right? Because this is the kind of guy Bo is. He likes to hunt and fish. He's an accomplished climber. He started this ministry called Father and Son Connection. That's a ministry for fathers and sons. And of course, they, they do stuff that men and boys like to do, go shoot stuff, some paintball and, and have, have a big fun day. But then there's this service and there's, there's this time at the end where the father looks in the son, son looks in the father. They look into each other's eyes. They, they hug each other. They say, I know you and I love you. And he was inspired to do that. He left a successful business and he's inspired, inspired to create that ministry because he grew up in, in, in an emotionless house. Dad never said, I love you. You just independent, self-sufficient, just deal with your stuff, kind of, kind of an environment. And we were having dinner with Bo just to gauge what angles we were going to take for the night. And he, he had a good story that he shared with us. He told us about this time he went climbing. And as an accomplished climber, he told his wife, 6 p.m., if you don't hear from me by 6 p.m., send out the search party. And so he's out climbing, and he gets into a tough spot. And he gets into a tough spot, but he can see he's focused. He's focused on this spot ahead that he knows he look, it looks like a prime spot to rest, to look at his surroundings. Um, but he's got some more climbing to do. And the way he descended and ascended, he's in this spot where he's stuck. He can't go any farther. He can't go back. He's just on the edge. There's very little he can, he can rely on. And as he's sharing this story, um, this is the kind of image that came to my mind. We're going to look at this image. Maybe. There it is. So this isn't Bo Glenn. This is a guy named Alex Honnold. Honnold? I, th I hope I'm saying his name right. Believe it or not, that guy can get out of that without ropes. It's terrifying. I don't know how he does it. It's freaky. But if you look up this guy, he's an, he's a crazy free climber. But as Bo Glenn is describing this story about this hike, right? He's in a spot like this where he's got, he's got very little to lean on. He's stuck. And hours have passed now since he's been stuck. And he describes how difficult it was for him to cry out for help. And it wasn't because like he's hoarse, he's tired. It was a spiritual problem. And this isn't a kind of a come to Jesus story. Like he's already started the father and son connection ministry at this point. But he's like, there's a lesson I learned that day as he started in 15 to 30 minute intervals, he cried help. And his first one was like, help, help, you know, it's like help. And he said, as, as time passed, he, he was screaming help. Like he was screaming help. And he said, I was crying out to God for help. Like I, there was nothing I could do. And all my experience and all my strength and, and all the ways in which I've been in and out of situations like this, I, I was utterly weak and in need. And I had to learn, I hadn't learned how to cry out for help 
until I was stuck on that mountain. And he talks about how valuable that was for him in his life. Uh, Pastor David and I, in discussing what we were going to talk about this week, he he, he came up with this phrase that I think is really helpful. David said, faith isn't giving up, faith is crying out. And I think, some, I think that's really important for us that, that they're diametrically opposed to one another. Faith isn't giving up, faith is crying out. That, that when those times in our lives where we're weak and we're in need, we need to learn how to cry out because crying out is honest. It's an honest assessment of the situation that, that we aren't self-sufficient, we aren't independent. There's some things we cannot do. There's some things we can't do. In the wake of Granny and Grandpa's passing, my mom, as you can imagine, was grief-stricken. What I realized, I didn't realize this until this week. My mom was 30 years old. That's three years younger than I am now. And my brother was just a few months old. I was four. And I, I think about like who my parents are for me and mother-in-law and father-in-law. And I just like, and this, this grief just plagued my mom. And she did her best to be strong and overcompensate. Um, I, I, many of you might say this about your mothers. There's no one more patient, no, no one more kind, no one more loving or hardworking um, than my mom. But, but there there was a significant period of her life um, where joy and hope just weren't really a part of her life because she had fearful questions about not being able to see her dad ever again. And you can imagine the kind of grief and this despair that just had a hold of her. A lot of nights of crying out. One night, eight years, eight years after Granny and Grandpa had died, uh, my mom woke up in the middle of the night. She heard her name called. And she, she woke up and um, she thought it was my dad calling her name, but it wasn't. So she went back to sleep. And then she woke up again. She heard someone, someone calling her name. And she looked over and my dad, this is a little unusual, he wasn't there. He had fallen asleep out on the couch watching TV. So she went back to sleep. And then she woke up a third time and she knew, she knew why. And, and she knew before she woke up that it wasn't my dad. She knew what she had to do and, and she received a kind of a revelation and a conviction. My dad recalls that night. He said, you know, at some point, it must have been really, really early in the morning. He didn't remember the time. He woke up and he realized he was on the couch. The TV was still on. So he turned the TV off and he was going to go back and fall back asleep in their bedroom. And to get back to where my parents' bedroom was, you have to kind of pass the office in the computer room. And the light was on. So he was going to go in and turn off the light. And he noticed my mom was like in the computer room with the light on, purposefully, very, very focused writing. And he was in that place between sleep and awake. So I don't think he, he paid too much attention to it. And he went back to sleep. And it's, it's, it's hard to describe this because you see my mom's a, an introvert. My mom is the last person to offer information unless she's asked. And even if she's asked, she'd prefer it was just kind of one-on-one. Um, my mom asked to, to give a message at church. And I, it's hard to express how, how, strange 
it is for my mom to ask to do something like that because it's not in my mom's nature to do something like that. And at the time, it was when the church was alive on Wednesday nights. Some churches are still like this. We had a big meal. There was like a 30-minute service. There were classes. There was all kinds of stuff, right? And so she asked to give the message. And the message she got to give or the date they gave her was Ash Wednesday. And everybody's there. It's a, it's a sanctuary of about seven. But at the time, the old sanctuary was about 700. So everybody's there because it's Ash Wednesday, some 700 seating. People are standing around the perimeter as my mom takes her little kitchen stool, she's very creative and crafty, that she made, sat it right in front of the congregation, sat down and read and shared what she was supposed to share. And she told her testimony. Um, and she shared how how painful and hard being a young mom of two young boys was when her heroes, her, her best friends, left. And uh, she was able to give like these words of hope and healing because she finally was able to receive it. Finally, she was able to, like God, like God told her, your, her parents were okay. You'll see him again. And, and in my mom's soft voice, even though she had a microphone, you had to kind of lean in, you know, to, to hear her. In her weakness, God's power rested on her. In her weakness, she was strong. And she was able to give something like she was uncomfortable giving, she couldn't in her strength on her own give in her weakness. She was strong. My power is made perfect in weakness, God says. And I share that story with you because had my parents not, not taught us and not led from that place of, look, this whole idea of being self-sufficient, you gotta have it all together. You, you know, you gotta, you gotta overcompensate and always pretend like you're stronger than you are. Like, no, I, I don't know that I'd be here if my mom didn't cry out to God. If my mom didn't, she didn't give up, she cried out, you know? And I don't know if I'd be here in ministry. I don't know if my brother would, would be serving the most vulnerable kids in society in the field of social work. I just don't know. Like, that's what hangs in the balance in all of this. God will not give you more than you can bear. It's true in a way because of what God gives, right? God gives us himself. And so we're more than conquerors through Christ. He gives us grace. And my mom was able to give, to give that message, not because she was strong, but because of grace, and, and God's grace is sufficient for us. So we can face some odds. We can, God's grace is sufficient for us at all times and in every place. God gives us each other to sit and listen and be a healing presence. And even if that's just 
hearing us grieve and yell and cry out. God gives us each other to encourage one another, to build each other up. God puts us in unique, special places. He gives us special opportunities to speak a word of truth, to speak a word of hope, to step up and rise above what seems to be too much. It's kind of amazing what we can endure and bear when we know we're in the place God has called us to be. And God also gives us the ability to choose. He really does. He gives us the ability to choose. And that's tough because that means we got to discern. And sometimes we're in situations and we're in spots in life where we're fighting our surroundings. We're not really pleased with our boss or our coworkers are driving us crazy or the time, the time uh, of, of our jobs. But, it's, but it actually turns out it's where God wants us to be. And then sometimes the opposite's the case. We need to get out and God's calling us to get out. And so what's tricky about God's gift of, of the choice that he gives us and the freedom that he gives us is our ability to discern. We have to discern. So maybe you're in a spot right now where, man, you're up to here in it life's tough to bear and you're drowning or you're not drowning yet but you've been shredding water a long 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 time and your muscles are about to give out and maybe you've even found thinking there's something wrong with you because you can't handle it all and and maybe the next step for you is to embrace weakness is to honestly assess your situation and realize that you can't do it on your own and that there is a dependence, there is a need to cry out to God. I don't believe God will give you more than you can bear. I don't believe God causes everything bad that happens in your life, or in fact, all the things that happen in your life, but I believe God works in all things. And so as we close, I, I, I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray that God would give you and he would give me the discernment to know where God is working and to receive anew the grace that enables us to admit that we need our need for God's power to sustain us in the weakness that we all share. Because in our weakness, in our weakness, when we cry out, it's paradoxical to say, but that's when we're strong. That's when we overcome because it isn't us you see, it's Christ in us, it's Christ through us and we realize we're dependent, we realize it isn't. <laughs> we can't do this, my mom couldn't do that. And so we can give God glory and we can continue to praise him because we all realize <sighs> it, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Will you pray with me? Holy God, I thank you that this, this is a community where we can be honest with each other. That this is a community, this is a house for sinners. This is a house for the poor and needy. This is a house for the broken. This is a house for us who are often overwhelmed and consumed by life. God, we confess we can't bear it. We can't handle it all. 
So help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not pretend. Help us be honest and not fake it. That we can be real and cry out to you in our need. Because that's what you want us to do. That's how we begin to serve. That's how we begin to show your light in the world. That's, that's how we make a difference when people see it isn't us. We're not that good. We're not that strong. <laughs> but in our weakness, you're strong. And that your power rests on us. We thank you for that. And we ask that you use us. In the name of Jesus, amen.